We have been doing a series of Facebook Lives in the month of February, all of them based around conversations on how you can live the ancient faith in modern day time. So we started off with Cecil Bean in early February talking about the importance of refocusing your discipleship around Jesus. And that sounds so common sense, but many of us struggle to do that in the real everyday of life. So that was a great conversation. We followed that up with discussion with Al Engler on how we need to reform our understanding of church. If we're really going to live out this ancient faith in modern times, then we need to understand and we need to be practicing a true biblical understanding of church. And then last week we were joined by G. Joe Joseph and we talked about recovering the gospel message and why that's so critical. And we're probably going to do another series of Facebook Lives later this year that's really built around expanding on that discussion about the gospel. I, I really believe that G. Joe and I were only able to begin to scratch the surface of that particular topic. So uh, keep an eye out for that series of Facebook Lives that we'll be doing a little bit later this year. And then tonight, of course, we're going to be talking with Susie and Liz about rediscovering the mission of Jesus, why that's so critical, and how it can really change the way we go about understanding our life and our purpose and how we can get engaged with the mission of Jesus. I know many of you on here don't know me personally. Let me just introduce myself my name is Andrew Stroud, and I'm the project lead here at Into the Harvest. And our mission is all about helping ordinary, everyday believers take the message and mission of Jesus out of the building and into the everyday places of life. I think that's always what Jesus intended, that every disciple, every follower of his would be part of the mission and that we would be living it out, not just in these sacred spaces, not just in our, our church buildings, but that we would know how to live out this message and share this message and mission of Jesus in the everyday places that we inhabit. So that's what Into the Harvest is all about. And I know it's a mission that uh, Susie and those involved with the well ministry share, that we want to be living out our faith in practical everyday ways. So I'm glad that you guys are here and I appreciate you joining us for this. Hello, ladies. Hi, Hi. Andrew. Well, we made it. We made it despite illness, despite technical difficulties. Here we are. So this is great. We've got East Coast, West Coast representing here on Facebook. Susie and Liz are there in Tampa, Florida. My family is based out of San Diego, and so that's where I'm broadcasting from tonight. You guys look great. I'm very glad that we're able to do this. Many of you may not be aware, but I got a text this morning from Susie that she was not feeling well at all. So let me start there, Susie. How are we doing? We are by faith here. I got myself out of bed, got a shower, got some Dayquil in me and some tea. So it might all be used up in about one hour. <laughs> <laughs> well, I promise we won't keep you longer than an hour. Well, let me just give you ladies a chance to introduce yourselves. We'll go one at a time. Tell us a little bit more about who you are and the work that you ladies are doing there with the Well Ministry. So those of you who don't know me, I am Susie Walther, and we've been in the Tampa Bay area since about 2002, after my husband retired from the military as a Special Forces Green Beret. 
and we moved eventually right here to the Tampa Bay area. Originally it was in Orlando, but we came here. And in the course of time, God just really birthed the ministry after meeting just with women one-on-one in, in the park or inviting them to my home. There was a point where God just said, it's time. It's time to take this ministry to another level. And we moved it to the church. And when we moved it to a church setting, I said, okay, God, what are we going to call it? And he said, you're going to call it the well. Mm-hmm. And we are. <laughs> 14 years later? Something like that. Yeah, about 14 years later. How about you, Liz? (laughs) Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, my name is Liz. I have lived in the Florida area or Florida since 2000. I don't know, actually, late 2002, (laughs) roughly the same time. But Susie and I met just after Easter 2004. She is the reason I actually know how to follow Jesus and help others know how to follow Jesus, too. And I don't know. That's enough about me. And I'm married. I'm married almost 28 years to Bob Walter. (laughs) And a shout out to my daughter, Allie Walter, who's um, watching live. She said that she gave up watching Burn Notice to be able to watch this. So I'm thinking that was a sacrifice or the second mile or something like that. Priorities. (laughs) True love. A daughter's love right there. So just a little bit about our connection. Liz, you and I have known each other now for about a month, I think. (laughs) And all over, all from a distance, all over email, all over Facebook, texting, Susie and I go back to the mid-90s, and so we've got history. We've got real history. I can remember getting involved with a Bible study that was based out of Fort Campbell, Kentucky, and it was we would meet at a chapel, and I can remember, I have no idea what you taught on, Susie, but there was one particular night where you know, different speakers would share every every week. And one week, Susie got up to share. And now I grew up in, in the South, in the Bible Belt, and I thought, wait a second, a a woman is going to get up and is going to teach the Bible. That was definitely outside of my experience and my comfort zone. But if my hair was short in those days, but I think by the end of that lesson, whatever it was that you taught on, I, I felt like my hair was kind of straight back <laughs> because God just spoke through you. It was obvious that, that you loved the Lord, that you knew the scriptures, and that you had a gift for teaching and communication. Hmm. And we... We labored together there in the Fort Campbell, Kentucky area, I think until about 2000, 2001, maybe. That's when we yeah. moved. That's when we moved. Were you guys? Yeah. So right around the same time, we both kind of moved out of the, the Fort Campbell area. And, and yet we stayed in touch over the years. And I would say that the mission that I've given my life to over the past 19 years since leaving that location where you and I were laboring together, the, the mission of my life is the same. It has not changed. I've learned a lot and hopefully I'm, I'm engaging in that mission more faithfully and more effectively today than I was back in 2001. But this mission that we're going to be talking about tonight is the same one that you and I have been giving our lives to for decades now. And I'm hoping that we can unpack it and clarify some things for those of us who are watching or who will be listening that can really help them catch a vision for this mission that Jesus not only gave his life to 2,000 years ago when he was on the earth, but that he entrusted to his first followers and that has been handed down through every generation to us today and that we have the opportunity now to to engage in it. So why don't we go ahead and start there? And I know you and I and Liz had a chance to talk last week, and we talked about the kingdom of God and how that was such a a mainstay of Jesus's mission. As he would go around, the first thing you see him talking about in the Gospels is the mission, the the kingdom of God, that, that people needed to repent 
and believe because the kingdom of God was near. So Susie, can you share a little bit about how does the kingdom of God and seeing life through the lens of the kingdom of God help us get a better grasp of this mission that Jesus is calling us to? Where does the kingdom come in? Well, I think it's, it's central to everything because once again, like you just said, it was central to Christ's message. It's really the thing that he came to restore because the, you know, the culture of the kingdom, the lifestyle of the kingdom, belonging to the king, relationship with the king, all of those things were lost in the fall. And as a result, there's a very different kingdom that's being lived out on the earth. But the earth was created for the kingdom of God, which is why Jesus tells us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done and it's implied on earth as it is in heaven we have to understand mission through the lens of the kingdom because this is what god is restoring us to we've got to understand the gospel in light of the kingdom we've got to understand the great commission in light of the kingdom and whenever we break the kingdom off from any of those things they become kind of islands in themselves and lots of bad things can happen when we don't understand what god's end game is in even salvation as making us citizens of the kingdom and then ambassadors of it. So it's central to how we are supposed to be living our lives. It's supposed to be our identity marker in every single way. There's only two cultures, like I said, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of heaven. And we're supposed to be expressions of the kingdom of light, expressions of the kingdom of heaven. We're supposed to be able to live its culture, manifest the nature of God. And we need Christ in every way to do this because he is what the kingdom looks like when it operates in a human being. And we're to emulate that, emulate him. Yeah, absolutely. One of the stories that I love from the Gospels is there's a story in Luke 11 where Jesus is casting out a demon. And Jesus had become very popular as a figure, as a teacher, as a healer. If Jesus was on Facebook today, I think he would, I don't know, maybe it would say Messiah, but certainly it would be public figure. You know, Jesus had gone from obscurity to amazing popularity in a short period of time. And a lot of those who had who had had that position of authority and respect as spiritual leaders were threatened by that. So they began to accuse Jesus of casting out demons because he was working for Beelzebul, the prince of demons. So they essentially accused Jesus of being a wolf in sheep's clothing. And he had this power to cast out demons because the devil had given him this power. And so Jesus tells this story about a, a strong man who's fully armed, who's guarding what belongs to him. And then a stronger man comes on the scene, attacks the first man, overpowers him, disarms him, and then begins to uh, plunder the spoils, to, to divide up the spoils. And Jesus tells that story to describe what was what the situation was between him and the enemy, Satan, the devil. And so there are the kingdoms of this world. And many people, I think, would be surprised to read the Bible and find out that Satan is described as the God of this world, that he is the one who is dominating the kingdoms of the world. But Jesus is the one who came into the world as that second stronger man who's on the offensive. He's attacking Satan. He's overpowering him. He's disarming him. And he's liberating people who have been living life under the rule of Satan, whether they realized it or not, in the kingdom of darkness, the kingdoms of this world. And he's calling them, bringing them into his kingdom, the kingdom of God. And you're right, we've been made citizens of the kingdom of God, and we are now loyal followers of the king, King Jesus. And that's absolutely... Can I add something to that, Andrew? Yeah, please, please. And I think that that is significant because I don't think that we think in terms of territory. And I heard a quote, I read something a few years back, that there is no neutral ground in the universe. Every single part is being 
being contested. And either the kingdom of God reigns in that space, reigns in that person's life, reigns in that family, reigns in that church, community, just you just keep adding whatever the, the place is, or the kingdom of darkness does. And we've got to begin to understand the mission of Christ in terms of territory, in terms of, you know, in people's lives being that territory, the way they live being that territory. I think that we do a great disservice when we think of the kingdom or we think of mission only in terms of conversion or even social justice, because those are important, but they're not the end game. The end game is always this thing called kingdom. And you enter the kingdom through salvation. You enter the kingdom through the gospel, but you continue to be saved by this gospel as we learn to live this kingdom too. And I don't think a lot of us think in terms of territory when we think in terms of the mission of Jesus Christ. You can jump in at any point here. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think you're right. In fact, that story from Luke 11, Jesus ends it by saying that he who is not with me is against me and he who does not gather with me scatters. That there really is this dichotomy that you're either with Jesus or you're against him. And that when I first read that, I was that really shook me up because I viewed myself as someone who was more neutral, that I respected Jesus. I didn't necessarily see myself as someone who was worthy of calling myself as being with him. But he goes on to say that he who does not gather with me scatters. And so the same idea there that you're either, you've either come into the kingdom and you're now following and living for the king, Jesus, or you're still on the outside, and you're even if you're respectful towards Jesus, you're actually working against his purposes. Maybe unknowingly, you're scattering is, is the way Jesus described it. Exactly, because you're advancing something, whether you know it or not, and our neutrality is advancing the wrong kingdom. The kingdom advances as we move with Christ, and he's always moving forward. So I think when you see, when you read through the Gospels too, you recognize how brutal Jesus is to religious people. He's absolutely brutal. And it's because there really are only two cultures. There's that which belongs to the kingdom of heaven and that which belongs to the kingdom of darkness. But there's always been this kind of caricature or counterfeit culture on the earth, which is religious culture, whether it's Hindu or Buddhist or Muslim or even Christian, that always thinks it's advancing the kingdom of heaven. But when you look at Jesus reacting, it's not. It's actually working against the very thing that he wants, which is his kingdom. So he doesn't want us settling for the caricature. Mm -hmm. When we settle for the counterfeit, we aren't working with him at that point. So we've got to understand what it is that Christ wants and make sure that we are always in pursuit of that, that we're rolling forward with him in every way, personally and in community with one another. And when Jesus told the man that he was not far from the kingdom of heaven for so long, <laughs> read that as like a compliment. Oh, he's really close, but not right. far is still outside. <laughs> like, yeah, absolutely. Well, let's spend a little bit of time there uh, with this idea of, of counterfeit, which is a really strong word, but I think it's appropriate. And Jesus would often use strong language to catch our attention and to really cause us to pause and reflect on is what we're understanding as ministry, as the mission, as faith. Is it really what Jesus is engaged in, what he was engaged in? This series on living an ancient faith in modern times, one of the big reasons why we wanted to do this is because here we are 2,000 years removed from that first generation of disciples who were living their lives for Jesus and engaging in his mission. And we, we've got 2,000 years of history and man-made traditions that have accumulated, and we're born into that. We're born into this culture, and then many of us come to faith and we begin to experience 
the expression of kingdom culture that we see in the present and don't necessarily have a good sense for how that connects to what Jesus was prescribing and what he was living his life towards uh, during his time on the earth. So one thing that you and I discussed last week was this idea of understanding mission as a lifestyle, as opposed to events that we kind of move from point to point. So how has that played out in your own life? Was there ever a time where a light bulb came on and you began to see the mission of Jesus as all of life? Or was there a time when you were kind of moving from event to event? For me personally, the significant kind of shift for me was when I was at Fort Campbell and it was actually through Cecil Bean. Never, that community of believers, I'd never, I'd seen a glimpse of that when I first became a Christian in Germany. It was a very organic community that I was attached to at the time. And then I had what I consider my desert experience and just a local church where the highest expectation of me was that I give some money, that I was there every time the doors were open, that I sang in the choir. And as long as I was doing those things, there was really no accountability or expectation in my life. As long as I showed up with some of the activities of the church, I was really considered a second level Christian. And then I got around this community of believers at Fort Campbell and I saw this guy Cecil Bean moving about the chapel and just the way he lived, the way other people lived and something sparked in me and I realized that I was really far away from whatever it is they were living. And I really wanted what they were living because I didn't feel alive and they looked alive to me. So that was my experience. Well, for me, you know, it was 20 years of going from event from event to event uh, within the church and showing up when the doors were open and thinking that I was good to go, even though my testimony is a little R-rated. So, <laughs> but then coming into contact with other people who were living the lifestyle and realizing that this mission, it doesn't just take place in Sunday morning from 9.30 to 11, but it really is something that you engage in everywhere you go, as long as you're awake. It's in the home, it's at the grocery store. You can constantly and should constantly be living on mission and awaiting those opportunities that Christ is going to give you to advance the kingdom in your context. And seeing it through the lens of conversation, community, relationships that you're constantly cultivating. And once again, the, the mechanism that God has given us to extend that kingdom of God into the earth is the Great Commission, you know, that we would preach and teach and we would, you know, export the gospel to people, that whole idea of evangelism. But not only that, but that we would live it, that people would see what this new creation looks like. And then we would be committed to just establishing them in their Christian faith and what it means to be a follower of Christ, what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom. And then we also, you know, in various ways are to be equipping one another so that we can do that work of service that God has left us to do on the earth. Because once again, all these three things that God has kind of put into play through the Great Commission are a means to advance his kingdom. Every one of them is relational. Every single one of them is relational. But baptize, that's you're touching people. That you would go and make disciples. Yeah, I guess you gotta talk to people, you know? <laughs> that you're equipping them. You've gotta be involved with people and just really beginning to see Christianity not through the lens of the church service, mm -hmm. but through a way of living mm -hmm. that is just sold out to abiding with Christ, sold out to fighting for community, sold out to just living redemptively. How can I live in such a way that I can help move somebody closer and closer to Jesus, whether I know it or not, and how do I live redemptively so that I can engage with people who may be hungry and help them move closer and closer as well? 
Yeah, just learning how to be an initiator and not waiting for the church to initiate all of these mission opportunities. Yeah, absolutely. You know, something that you both mentioned there in passing, but I want to loop back to is many of us have had this experience as we come to faith. You know, we believe in God, we hear the gospel, at least in some form, and we put our trust in it. And then there really can be a disconnect where we struggle to figure out, well, how does this change my life? It seems like it should really change my life radically. And yet, as we go out to these events, whether it's a church service or a Bible study, oftentimes it can really be that our life isn't changed. It it really hasn't gone from any different before Christ to after Christ. And I think we know instinctively that it should not be that way, that life should be completely transformed. If the good news is everything that we say it is, if Jesus is everything that we we say and that we believe he is, how can you not be completely transformed in every facet of your life? And I think that's what you experienced at Fort Campbell, Susie. I think that was also something that was so exciting and so almost a relief that, yes, I thought that there had to be more to this than just putting my trust in, Mm -hmm. yeah, putting my trust in Jesus and then kind of trying to be a good person for the next 60, 70 years. And then I die and that's when it really starts. No, uh, Jesus is really calling us to be his people and to live in his kingdom now on this earth and to to bring that perspective and that way of life to others. I want to move into talking with you all about how Jesus ministered to both the masses, but also to the disciples and to individuals. Because, you know, there were events that Jesus participated in. I mean, he went to feasts, crowds would gather, and he would spend, in some cases, multiple days with them. So these were almost like Lollapalooza or something, where people would go and they would seek out Jesus, and they would just hang with him for for three days at a time. So Jesus had events, but he also had work, in-depth work, with a few, with disciples, and that was critical to his mission. So I'm going to ask you to to share a little bit on that, Susie. Well, Andrew, I got the nod, so she wants me to handle this one. And I think it has everything to do with both and. I think too much in Christianity, we try to make things either or. But with Jesus, everything, uh, there was so much about him that was both and. He did do that. He engaged in that ministry to the masses, whosoever, whosoever will just come. And this is where he practiced that social justice. This is where he practiced his love and he prayed for people and he served them and he was kind and compassionate. And then he had this, like you said, this separate ministry to the disciples that was more concentrated. And for those, it was for those that he used a term called worthy. And that had nothing to do with who they were as a person. And that was actually Mm -hmm. something that you said, you felt like you weren't worth being able Mm -hmm. to be called like this disciple, you were in like this neutral territory that that doesn't (laughs) exist. But what you came to discover about yourself is that you it was what you saw as valuable what if somebody said "Is, is the kingdom of God worth it? Is following Jesus Christ worth it? You would say yes. And so those are the worthy Are they willing to make the sacrifices that advancing the kingdom require? And Jesus challenged this all the time. He constantly said to people, now, are you sure you want to follow me? Because it's going to require this, this, and this. And it was amazing how many times people would say, no, thank you. Which just lends itself to he expected the lifestyle. Absolutely. Right. It wasn't a moment in time and then I'll see you at the rapture. It was, (laughs) you know, it was, um, are you sure you want to follow me? Because it's going to cost you your life. You're going to learn way of living because I'm going to teach you a no a new way of being human. That's what salvation is about. This is what Jesus I right. mean, show us a new way to be human. And that is so radical. It's supernatural that the world is supposed to be able to look at that and go, wow, 
And those who are attracted to that new type of humanity, those are the ones that we lead to the father through the son, you know? So there, right. won't, there won't be everyone who's attracted to being that new human, but there are, there are going to be people who are attracted to that. And those are the one we're, you know, we're on mission for. We're, we're, we're to be noticers, noticers. We sow seed and we pay attention to, um, we do something in the well that Jesus calls us. Was it John 10? Mm -hmm. Sheep, you know, we're all bah, 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 you know, and all we're doing is paying attention to, you speak Jesus and you see the little head of a sheep look up. <laughs> and when the head pops up, that's clear. Let's start investing there. Let's start investing. So right. Seed to the sheep, but you got to be able to pay attention to the heads that pop up and then you start investing in those people. Yeah, absolutely. So I think there's probably some people that are watching or that are going to be listening to this that feel the way I did maybe 20, 25 years ago when I would hear a conversation like this or a message about being part of the mission of Jesus. And I just wouldn't know where to start. I, I was fascinated by it. I wanted to be part of the mission of Jesus. The idea that Jesus was not just some historical figure and that first crop of men and women got all the, the excitement of living for Jesus and seeing the gospel spread throughout their cities and throughout their regions, but that that's still happening today and that we could be a part of it. All of that was thrilling to me personally, but I just didn't know where to start. So I, I want to spend some time talking about what holds us back. Why is it that more sincerely minded men and women who believe in Jesus and want to follow him, why aren't they engaging in the mission of Jesus? Uh, what are some of the obstacles that you've seen that hold people back from going all in or from being involved? Three things right off the bat. Number one is sin. I mean, if, if you're all jacked up and then some, then we actually don't want the gospel to be on your mouth. The church doesn't need any more people like that. So sin is countercultural to a holy God's way of living. So if we're all jacked up with sin, we're living a compromised life. We love the world and the love of the Father isn't in us. So the fact that we don't let go of sin, we, we honestly think it's okay to believe in God. We've said our prayer, we cried a little bit. Now we're, gonna, we're waiting for the glory train. And we honestly think of Christianity that way. It hurts us. You can't, you can't be on mission like that, compromised. The other thing I think is just we have so few people in the body of Christ abiding with Christ. So they're not spending time in the presence of God. They're not spending time in the word of God. They're not spending time in prayer, you know. And when you think in terms of mission being territory, then prayer is that airstrike. And without the airstrike, the ground forces are going to get decimated. So we've got to be involved in, in prayer. We've got to be prayerful people as we go in to steal territory. It's a spiritual battle that we're fighting. We're up against rulers and authorities and powers, you know, and spiritual yeah. forces in heavenly places. So this is a spiritual battle. So so I think that we're just, we're not abiding mm. with God through prayer and the word. And I think that because of that, we've just got this, we're just a very immature church. We've got a bunch of babies and toddlers. Nobody is growing up in, in Christ. And we feel good about it. As long as we can say that I prayed and I, I got emotional and I sang a song, you know, and I go to church two times a month, we really do think this is what God wants. And I think if we were honest with ourselves, it doesn't square with why Jesus would go through what he did just so that I could pray a prayer, cry over, you know, sing to boy band Jesus and, and then, you know, go to church every now and again. It just doesn't square. So until we realize that immaturity hurts us on the mission field and keeps us from going, sin hurts us. The lack of abiding hurts us. Just very relational things hurt us 
or the lack of relationship, I should say. Mm -hmm. So, well, I don't know. You said there were going to be three things, and I, I got two. Well, sin. Yeah. Sin. Not abiding. Oh, uh-huh. And immaturity. Oh, okay. It's really why we started this series on by talking about refocusing discipleship, because until we understand that Jesus has called us to live a life of devotion to him, which is going to be the antidote to all three of those things, that if you're really understanding and seeking to live a life of devotion to Jesus, then I love what you said there, that sin is countercultural to the kingdom of God. That is gold right there. And what is cultural, what is the, that should be the norm, is radical prompt obedience, that that mm -hmm. is the culture of the kingdom, that Jesus has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. I belong to Jesus. Therefore, I want to know what his will is, what his plan is, and then I want to obey him as quickly as possible and as fully as possible. And then the same thing, if I'm living a life of devotion to Jesus, then abiding in him, wanting to regularly draw near to him, knowing that he promises me that he will draw near to me. I mean, what kind of faith is it when we've got this open promise that if we take the time to draw near to God, he will draw near to us, and yet we don't do it. Mm -hmm. uh, we choose not to fix our eyes on Jesus. And then finally, even the whole concept of maturity, I think, is something that we've lost in our modern day church, where we think that we're doing well. The metrics that we use are if we feel close to God, which goes back to your, your boy band, Jesus, if, if we have these emotions that I feel close to God, or if we know a lot of facts about the Bible, then mm -hmm. that's what it means to be advanced in our faith rather than maturity, which is a life that looks like Jesus and that is pointing people towards him because of holiness, abiding in him, and living a lifestyle that looks like him. I love that. So what would you say it could look like for the average person today who believes in Jesus, who wants to grow who's watching this and, and feeling stirred in their spirit that, man, I do want to go in. I, I do want to be part of this mission. Where would you say people should start? I think it's important for people to be able to first answer some of the hard questions. So I think we have to do our homework. You know, like just listening to G. Joe's uh, last week, talk about the gospel. Like, can you answer that question? What is the gospel? Talking about the kingdom today, can you answer the question, what is the kingdom of God? These are important questions that we need to be able to answer biblically because we cannot give what we do not know. It's true. Um, so, gosh, I wrote down a bunch of them, but what does it practically look like to make a disciple? I think if you asked most people in the church, they you'd be greeted with crickets and, and blank stares. So what I love about one of the things that we see in Acts is that John and Peter were commended not because of all of the schooling that they had, but because they had spent time with Jesus. So yes, it's important, like I just said, to be able to answer those questions. But also, if you aren't abiding, you're, you're shooting yourself in the foot. You're not going to accomplish the mission. And then as you go and you're prayfully, like, engaging in your churches and recognizing that the church is a mission field. We don't have to go to Africa to be able to begin this mission of Jesus. The mission is right in our own backyards and so often on Sunday mornings. And I don't care if you're Baptist or Catholic or charismatic or non-denominational, if you're in the house church or a high church or anywhere in between, that is your mission field. And you can be looking for hungry people who don't know what you know and aren't doing what you're doing, but they do. They raise their head and they're curious and they're interested in what you're doing and why you're doing it and then spend time with them we call it the date at the well you can call it whatever you want but just like engaging and building relationship with people so that you can get yourself 
get a foot in the door and be able to say, hey, I noticed, you know, you said the other day, oh my gosh, there's so many highlights in your Bible. I wish my Bible looked like that. I can help you with that, actually. Yeah. <laughs> and then being able to spend time with people on a weekly ba or regular basis and just giving them what you've got. And I would say, just adding to that, when we go into our churches or into Walmart, we've got to learn how to be noticers. If there's anything you really um, glean from Christ is that he noticed people. And we mm. see people, but we don't really notice them. And so, and we're so used to our little bubbles and we create bubbles within bubbles. So when we go to a church, you know, when we go to our church, how about we stand in the back and actually, if I don't know what guys will do, but for a woman, pay attention to that woman who's there by herself and then mm. position yourself behind her, next to her, in front of her and just notice her. Then engage in, with her. Just ask her how long she's been coming here, you know, ask if she's plugged into a small group somewhere. Hopefully you're plugged in to something or you're doing something <laughs> and then you invite her into what is making a difference in your life. We've got to learn to start noticing people and having spiritual conversations with people. And I think that that's a lost art in, in the American church that we really don't know how to talk about our faith. We've been lied to because we were mm. told that faith is private. Faith is not right. private. It's personal, but it's very public. Everything about our faith is meant to be public and it's meant to be lived in community. So it's supposed to be experienced by others. So we've got to learn to, to force ourselves to have these conversations, to learn a few questions to ask people, to extend that invitation and not be so concerned about whether the result, not to be so concerned right. about whether or not they're, you're going to be rejected. We need to be yeah. more concerned about obeying Christ to extend that invitation mm -hmm. and just to see, is that a sheep that will raise its head? You know, so mm -hmm. treating church as a mission field, like Liz said, regardless of the context for your church, a house church, a street church, you know, um, a, meets in a high school, it doesn't matter. Just begin to notice people because the hungry are still looking through, coming through the doors of the church. Mm -hmm. Not all of them, mm -hmm. but there are still people who think that they can find answers in the church. So we can start there. We can start at our jobs, you know, we, and I just think we got to think relationship. We've got to think relational and conversational that gives us access to people and to know how to ask questions that can help us mm. see what the person spiritually mm. may be or may not be. Man, there's so much. We may have to do a four-part series on this one as well. One thing that I, I like to really break it down to what I would call the lowest common denominator, that we've been called to You're walk with Jesus and to help other people walk with Jesus. Yeah. So it's a, you could say we've been called to be disciples and to make disciples. And that might sound overwhelming until you realize it's really, we've been called to walk with Jesus and do whatever it takes to help other people walk with Jesus. And there's so much to learn. There's not a one formula that you've got to figure out to make it happen. Uh, I love your thought on Jesus being an observer of people. One of my favorite stories of Jesus is as he's in Jerusalem and he's in the temple. It actually says that he, he sat down and was watching the people putting in their gifts. And he happened to notice a widow who put in two pennies and he called his disciples over and, and really taught an in-depth lesson just because he was observant and alert. And I think that's a great challenge for us. One question that I know I spotted a little further up the feed here is from Ryan Bailey. And he says, my wife Hope asks, if you're discipling someone who's stuck in a sin pattern, and not coming out of it, how do you deal with that? Do you have any advice that you would share, Susie? Yes, you let her know that you can't meet with her. I mean, the whole idea of discipling somebody is discipling them to follow Jesus. If they won't relinquish their sin, they can't follow him. And you can't do in someone's life what they're not letting the Holy Spirit do. So now mm -hmm. instead of moving, trying to, trying to 
make her a disciple or try to force her to become a disciple. Once again, that's not our job. Our job is just to see where God is working and to join him in that work. So that's one of those people that would move into your whosoever will ministry. You love on her, you pray for her, you check in on her every now and again, but you let her know that this relationship is about walking with Jesus and that's something she's not willing to do right now, then this is actually hurting her. Because the more she knows, the more accountable she's going to be to an almighty God. So that would be a run for us run kind of situation for me. <laughs> yeah. We call it at the well, learning how to break up with a woman. Yeah, that's good. And I think sometimes that's what we need sometimes to know that we can't just continue on in mediocrity and disobedience without consequences. It does affect our fellowship. And, and there's lots of biblical support for what you're talking about there, particularly if you've, if you've addressed the sin, if you've tried to offer practical help, and the, the issue is just an unwillingness and unrepentance they're not then, trying to struggle. They're not trying to be set free. They're actually, they're, and I would say to that too, when you find that kind of situation, you've got to re, um, you've got to revisit the kind of gospel that somebody believes. Are they embracing yeah. a cheap grace gospel? Are they right. embracing a gospel that is out, that is actually not the gospel of the kingdom of heaven, which leads us to a holy God and leads us to being that new type of human, that a new creation in Christ. So yeah. Sometimes you've got to revisit the kind of gospel that somebody believes as well. Yeah, and just very quickly, you know, when Jesus sent out the disciples two by two, he told them to go into a city and to look for a person who was worthy. If they could not find one, move on. Mm -hmm. And because there may be some people in the next city who are worthy, who want to respond. And so I think uh, if we spend too much time with people that don't really want to obey Jesus, who don't really want to know him and live for him, What's what's really being lost there is the opportunity to help someone who does, someone who's in that next city that never hears from you because you're stick you're staying around in a city hoping that people will change. Uh, Crystal here asks, how does noticing the heads pop up play out in a secular setting? So do you, do you ladies have anything that you would share with that respect? Well, I would say it has a lot to do with when you talk, you bring up God speak, they don't run away and they don't get uncomfortably silent and suddenly change the subject into a million other things. And we use a mm -hmm. verse, uh, there's a phenomenal verse um, or passage of scripture. It's in second Corinthians chapter two and it's verses 14 through 17. Mm -hmm. And it's absolutely amazing. And if we pay attention to this, it really is simple. He said, people are on two tracks. He said, when we live, we're supposed to live like the aroma of Christ. We are following Christ in procession. We're supposed to smell like him, look like him. Once again, we're living that culture. Mm -hmm. And he said, as, we're, as, we, as we live like that, we're going to find people on one of two roads, people who are on the road to death and people who are on the road to life. And Paul says, if they're on the, ro if they're on the road to death, your aroma stinks to them. They're mm -hmm. hiding from you when they see you in the grocery store. They're ducking <laughs> in the parking lot. So you don't worry about that person. But he says that the person who's on the road to life, to the, the person who's on the road to life, you are a sweet smelling fragrance. So even um, in a secular realm, you're paying attention to the people who are not running. Sometimes we call those people of peace. Mm -hmm. they're, they're not offended 
by your faith. They're not offended that um, you are a no. Christ follower. And they are, they're still okay with being in your space. Those are people we need to be relating to and praying for because those are people who are very likely on the road to life. So it works. You can see the head pop up in the secular world. They're not running from you. In the Christian world, they're yeah. not running from you. Well, that's good. Um, we're going to try one more. Alex asks, in plain language, how would you explain the kingdom of God to someone who approaches you and has a desire to walk closer to Jesus. So we'll take the Cliff Notes version of this one. What are the key elements that you no. would want to, to use, Susie, to explain that? What the kingdom of God is? Yeah, is in plain language. It's mm -hmm. the rule and reign of God in your life. He is Lord. It's learning to, my life is not my own. Mm -hmm. I'm a bondservant. When I read something, the word of God, I'm not just going, check, I read that, I'm a good Christian, I'm, I did my duty today. It's actually reading that and seeing that God is telling me how to live my life. And when I live my life that way, when I obey his commands, his lordship is showing up because I'm living the way Christ would want me to live. And that way is supernatural mm -hmm. and it stands out. So if my flesh wants me to be unforgiving, my flesh wants me to hold a grudge, my, my flesh says I'm justified in my anger and Christ says, let it go. Then the kingdom, wherever Christ rules, without resistance is where the kingdom of God is. And so when I let him rule my life and I do what he says at the, you know, the, the killing off of my flesh and the killing off of my will mm -hmm. to follow my flesh, I yeah. am kingdom. It's the rule, the reign, the lordship of Jesus Christ in my life. I do what he says. So if I may, and out to answer Alex's question, like in plain English, if I were trying to strip away all the church words from it, I would simply say that this means like this word saved gets bandied about. Jesus is my savior and he saved me from my sins. But not only did he, what, what did he save you from, but what did he save you to? Yeah. And so he's the boss of my life now. And whatever he tells me to do, right. I do. Whatever he tells me to stay away from is what I stay, stay away from. And that's the kingdom. Yeah, I love it. I think the risen Christ is central to the kingdom of God. When Jesus appeared on earth and he said the kingdom of God is near, well, of, of course it was because the king had actually come to earth and was standing there as a physical man. Whether people recognized it or not, the king was present. Therefore, the kingdom was near. And to know that Jesus is alive and that he wants you to belong to him and follow him, that's really what it means to be connected to the king and to be part of the kingdom, that you're following a ruler who is alive today uh, and has a plan and a purpose, not just for your life, but for the world that we're all a part of and the future. We are going to land the plane there. If you're not already connected to our page, like the End of the Harvest Facebook page. If you'd like to be connected more with Susie and with Liz. To like our page would be facebook.com slash study. Yeah, and our website is just wellbiblestudy.org, and that's where you can find out about our trainings and our upcoming conference. We've got a big conference coming up in September, shameless plug. Um, so yeah. if, you're, if you're a woman and you're interested in this, it's called Operation Train Up a Woman, Breaking the Cycle of Non-Discipleship. Mm -hmm. It will be here in the Tampa Bay area, September 6th and 7th at the Tampa Airport, Airport Marriott Hotel. Mm -hmm. So that's a two-day discipleship intensive. Based of this stuff. Of this stuff. Yeah. We whole message on the kingdom, on discipleship, on the obstacles to discipleship, you know. And then we've got workshops and small groups that we do with that as well. Just to try to give women the resources and tools that they can turn around and start implementing, especially if they already have platforms in their churches or um, ministries. 
So definitely connect with the ladies over at the Facebook page, visit the website. I know Susie has already committed to being on our podcast later this year. So she'll be on the End of the Harvest podcast, which is going to be starting season two in April. So if you want to stay in the loop on that, then you can go to endoftheharvest.org slash subscribe, and you'll get all the notifications for upcoming podcast interviews or videos like this. Would love to stay connected and just see the Lord build this community. I think social media has so much potential for positive kingdom purposes. And uh, so many times we're either using it for misusing it or just wasting time on it. So hopefully we'll be building a community between ministries like the well and into the harvest with people who really do want to walk with Jesus and represent him and make disciples. So Susie and Liz, thanks for joining us. Susie, I do hope you feel better. Thanks for for slogging through it tonight, and we'll do it again sometime soon. 